Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. How dare you ignore me when I look so good? And welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast. That was Brick by Brick by Ladybird. Hi, Carl and Greg. How are you both doing today? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you always, hello. You know, I, I, I always do my stupid thing. Hello, Carl <laughs> and Greg. Yeah. And you always do hello. Hello. I think that's enough for this week. Hello. Bye, y'all. <laughs> From now on, you got to go hello, Congreg. I'm going to go hello. I, I, I was kind of, I'm, I'm just kind of a little whacked out by that punk pop extravaganza. It's nineties, I, I love it. Cool. It's yeah. very nineties. I'm actually, I'm watching a show on Hulu called Cruel Summer, and like, it's about like the summer and winter and then summer again of like 1999 and 2000, and this song would fit perfectly in there. I actually hear it a little earlier. I mean, there was that kind of mechanized drum track going on with it with the punk guitars that was going on in the late 80s too i mean it was kind of post new wave you know so it's uh yeah it was cool and i'll tell you what makes tracks like this is you know the passion and the personality of the vocal and the and the vocal really sells this it was it was cool 
It was good. It was definitely good. Yeah. Definitely. It was. And we have to give a shout out to our former intern, Grace, because this is one of the artists that she pursued and recommended. And, oh, you cool. know, Ladybird agreed to be on. She filled out all of the agreements and stuff and answered our questions. And here we are. So what are we doing now? Are we, are we done? Yep, <laughs> sure, we can, done. we can be done. Yeah. <laughs> Two minutes in. We're good for this week. Let's get us on it's out of here. It's still summer, right? <laughs> it's still summer, but Kenzie actually started kindergarten. Yay. In August? They're sending That's kids back to school passage. in August? In Tennessee, they do school mm-hmm. August to like Memorial Day. So mm-hmm. she went back this Monday. I realized I, I had a very deprived childhood. I never <laughs> never went to sleepaway camp. I didn't either, though. Oh, wait a minute. I did go to sleepaway camp. <laughs> I went I went to camp, but it was related to the school. I so went to Little League really... camp in, in Williamsport. Williamsport, yeah. And I remember I broke my leg there, and I still stayed. Oh my gosh, that's wow. like yeah, that's that's traumatic, you know. I'm not going to edit this out, but who cares? I will say that if we want this podcast to reach its all-time low, just have Carl and I talking about sports. That would be <laughs> I mean, there's nothing on the planet I know less about than sports. I was a big baseball guy until around around 11 or 12. And then the Beatles happened, I swear. <laughs> and then you switched over. And then I switched they the Beatles. Took you and, and it was funny too. Over. I remember this. I remember being like seventh grade. I started buying Beatle cards instead of baseball cards. And nobody would flip me. Nobody would play with me because nobody wanted Beatle cards. I was only jerk with Beatle cards. They wanted baseball cards. When I was a kid, I guess maybe nine or 10 years old, I was into the NFL for a while. Only because it was like everything else in the 60s and 70s. It was populated with a bunch of cool characters. You know, you had, you know, Joe Namath on the sidelines wearing a, you know, $10,000 fur coat. And you had people would be on the sidelines smoking cigarettes and drinking frescas. This is is a total useless off the rail podcast episode. (laughs) But anyway, remember when we were little, they had that first electric football game? Yeah. <laughs> but all it was was yeah. there was this big metal, like, tin. Piece of sheet metal. <laughs> that painted to be a football field, and you put these players on it, and then you plug it in, and it just vibrated. And there was a little electric motor on the bottom that would vibrate the plate, and these little little characters or little players just would, would move actually anyway, jump any which way the... over any. Yeah. Google the... electric football, Nicole, and watch that. That's no, basically I our know. exposure to. I know what you're talking you know about. about I know electric oh, cool. football. Yeah. It was it was ridiculous. I remember I plug it in like I didn't even play. It's like you just set it up and then it does anything. Not, <laughs> not only was it a poor toy, but there's also the risk of electrocution. <laughs> right. so. Yeah, well, let's. This is the sports episode. My this favorite toy. Great. My favorite toy back then. You know, I was really good at. Hmm. And people, a friend of mine, laughed at me when I said he didn't know what I was talking about. Operation knock hockey. I was great at knock hockey. I don't even know what that is. You don't know what knock hockey you is. You know what knock no, hockey I've is? Never the heard that stick term. In the, I, I played it throughout my childhood too. I was great with that angle side shot. I'd get and I'd get him right in. You could, I, I, the what, ricochet. So I was terrible like at it, but game. we still played it. It's a little wood board. It looks board. like a hockey game, and you're like kind of like, no, is it like air it's hockey or? It's like the, the the olden times version of air hockey. <laughs> you had a little like stick, a little like stick, a little puck. That is to hockey what I think foosball is to to soccer. You know, to, to yeah, soccer. Kinda yeah, kind of maybe. A little, yeah. Little, yeah. No, air hockey is more that. But either way, I, I was good at that. We sit. I used to beat everybody. 
before I became an amazing singer-songwriter and, <laughs> and found my, my place there, my talents were not cocky and, believe it or not, pogo stick. I was an amazing... Not cocky and So you, pogo would stick. you have been in the World Series of not cocky? I probably could have been. I was they really good. I had a good knack for it. I had a good, I had a good wrist flick. Wrist flick. <laughs> when you were a kid, did you ride your bike everywhere? Of course. I always had the mitt, always had the mitt on the handlebars. Yeah. We were we rode our bike and we would walk everywhere. Like we would walk to the seven eleven, we would walk to school. Uh, so yeah, we yeah. actually we even in high school and middle school we would walk home after finals so we didn't have to wait for the bus or our parents like once we were done. So wow. I, I had my banana seat. Big yeah, of course, you know, like the Stingray bicycles right. that came out in the 60s. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of was into my bicycle, but we didn't really ride very much. I mean, we rode in the neighborhoods, but the neighborhoods that I grew up in, in suburbia, there were no sidewalks. So you basically, you know, unless you had a, like a mountain bike, you couldn't. You couldn't ride very far in right, the neighborhood. I, I used to go all over my town, Oceanside. Yeah. I had my friends, like, you know, two miles, three miles, four miles away. You know, yeah, outside of town, yeah. I would rather lay around and watch television. We would walk to the movie theater sometimes, which was, like, probably two miles away. Like, I don't know. And that's where I think having Kenzie, we've realized, like, that type of childhood is completely gone now. Yeah. Especially with how spread out we are. Like, she can't walk to a 7-Eleven. She can barely walk to her friend's house down the street just because of how far away it is. So. Did you guys roller skate? Oh, yeah. I was afraid to roller skate. Really? Yeah. So... I roller skated. We started like roller skates and then we did roller blades and Kenzie just got her first pair of roller skates for her birthday. Because uh, the the skating rinks here, they're kind of having a resurgence. Really? Yeah, I mean, as I was coming up, you know, it kind of went from kind of a cool thing, fun thing, post 50s and 60s to like it was kind of a place where the, the weirdos and the bad people hung out, right? So in the 70s and 80s. But now I think it's, it's had a resurgence. My generation, like mid '90s to like early 2000s, like like kid plus teenage years, we would ice skate in the winter. We would roller skate and go to like teen nights on Friday and get an organized group of friends to go. And someone's mom would pick us up and drop us off. And I guess we kind of had the best of both worlds. So and you would talk to boys and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. I was always an idiot. I was always stupid. I was always too cool to do anything. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's stupid, that's stupid. So I was like... You were just like, you know, back against the wall type dude and watching oh, other that's, people that's participate. Lame, you know? Yeah, that's the way I was. You know, there was one interesting aspect of the skating rink, and that was that it's music driven. Mm -hmm. You know, so they always had these huge sound systems and there would be certain nights for certain kinds of music. So that was cool. It's just ABBA. It's always just ABBA. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this is this is a pointless episode. No, I have something to talk about. We just got off oh, track before we, we even got. What are we talking about? So I don't know if you guys have seen or heard, but there is an up and coming artist called Oliver Anthony, and he released a single called "Rich Man North of Richland," and it's getting a ton of traction. Where in the first week, I think it got like 13 million views on YouTube, and I don't even know how many streams on Spotify. And so, why, why is that? Is it good? I think it's the song resonates with, I think, a lot of the working class and middle class and lower class. So people have been listening to it and he's gotten traction because of it. But he sounds like the new wave Chris Stapleton. I think people just love his voice. Is it a good song? It actually is a good song. You don't think this is in any way a reaction to all that 
ridiculous stuff that's going on with these other songs that are portend to profess like small town values none of that i don't think so i think because it's a little bit it's more poignant and he's upfront about what it's about and not trying to like ride the wave of like what people are interpreting it as or trying to come out right. and say something that it's not about it he's just like this yeah. is what it's about this is why i wrote it so i don't know if it's because he's honest and people like it but it's definitely gotten a lot of traction in the last you week. know what label is on so he is an unsigned independent artist who's just distributing his music by distro kid greg okay so that makes the at least for me that makes it much more interesting because what does someone do when they control everything and they have the incredible stroke of luck to go viral with something? So you know the majors come. Of, the majors come swooping in with, with big checkbooks and probably he'll take it. Why not? Uh, yeah, well, but that's probably not such a bad idea. Well, given you know, you know who that happened to shelf life of this stuff. Right. You know, you know who that happened to. I remember this. It was a big deal back in the nineties. Lisa Loeb. Lisa Loeb was this chick down yep. in the village who had this song. You know, uh, you say whatever it was. Yeah, and that that song was huge. Our friend was Ethan Hawke, who's in this movie. So he did this video for her. The song became number one before she even had a record deal. So what she did is like all the labels start swooping in now with this great chick with a number one record. She finally signed to Geffen. It took seven months for her to finalize the deal. In that seven months, the whole buzz died down and she, it was yep. over. It never happened for her, yep. really. You know, right. she lost the momentum of, of what it was. She still performs. She's yeah, still but, but she never relatively really, young. She never really got the buzz of, of what happened. Let's talk more about Lady Bird. So um, do we have something else to listen to from her? We do. We have another song called Fortune Cookie. So why don't we listen to that? But before we do, let's hear from another company called Nash & Tune, who we are very excited to hopefully start forming a relationship with. In this episode, we are featuring a local Nashville company called Nash In Tune. Nash In Tune is the most exciting country site to get you in tune with new music, fun events, and the Nashville life. For more information, you can go to their website, which is nashintune.com. That is N-A-S-H-I-N-T-U-N-E.com. It's a design for tomorrow I can't be all that you need Yet you bite the end that you feed Somehow I ate the wrong fortune cookie Sick 
I really, really, really like that. Who actually eats the fortune cookie? I do. I mean, it's not always great, but I... They're I always do. stale. I eat it. They're always yeah, stale, and they always have like a little bit of a metallic taste to them, but yeah. <laughs> I'll eat them. Do you pay any attention to the fortunes themselves? Sometimes. New ones on the back, they have lotto numbers. So I've been, ah. I've been playing these lotto numbers for like two years from some fortune cookie. Uh. I got thinking it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Let me tell you why I like that track. So it takes, it takes a lot. I mean a lot for me to like a track that's out of tune like that. But this is What's actually, it's, 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 it's just way out of tune, dude. The whole damn track is out of tune. I think you're but, out of tune. But it is a device. Uh, and she passes the test with flying colors. Basically, what gets done is you put somebody with so much personality and power in their vocal you put that vocal over the top of an out-of-tune track and it becomes a thing. It starts to sound like a record. I mean, many people have done it. Chrissy, Chrissy Hyde did it. Kate Bush did it. You know, she's, she sings over a lot of out-of-tune I'm going to fight tracks. with you on this. I don't believe any of that is ever intentional. No, I think it's very intentional. I think, and I think it's clever. I think you're wrong. I think wrong. it's clever. Well, we'll have to ask. We'll have to... if we. If we can get her to come back, we'll have to ask her. But no, I, I believe it's very intentional. I would like to know whether or not they believed that's what they were doing. But you can do it to great effect when you've got a great singer that has so much personality in their vocal. All right. Did we talk to these people, this person? We did. So we asked Ladybirds our questions of the week. Okay. <laughs> So the first question we asked her is to tell us a little bit about herself. Hi, my name is Kaylee Borner. I am also known as Ladybird from time to time. My little stage little bit is, hi, my name is Kaylee, but tonight you can call me Ladybird. So today you can call me Ladybird. I am from Long Island, New York, but I'm currently living in Albany, New York, because that's where I went to school. I went to the College of St. Rose. I majored in music industry with a concentration in songwriting and composition. And I credit the school for turning me into the musician that I am today. I feel like I wouldn't have grown as much. I've been writing music since I was little, but I feel like the College of St. Rose really fine-tuned my, my craft. And also as well, since living in Albany, I've been collaborating with so many artists and playing in so many shows with so many bands and it's an amazing place the albany music music scene just around surrounding diy scenes are really the bread and butter of a starting musician and it's a really amazing experience you should definitely go to basement shows you should definitely support your local artists and yeah it's a little bit about me albany new york right yeah. you ever spend any time in albany yep I had two roommates, Rita and Sarah, who lived in like a suburb of Albany. So it was only 45 minutes from Oneonta. So on weekends, if we didn't have anything to do, we just go back to their parents' place and like take all the supplies we needed. But we we did hang out there. It's actually, it's an interesting scene for sure. I love Albany. I spent some time there. My spiritual big brother in the music industry is from there. And one of the things that I've always loved is the autumnal story, the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Mm -hmm. That's of course about further up the Hudson. But in Albany, some, some people don't know, many people don't know this, but there is a mural in the Albany post office of the legend of Sleepy Hollow 
which is incredibly stunning done during the WPA. So I highly recommend if you're in Albany to go see the mural. You are just a a well of like information, Greg. For real. (laughs) I could see where there would be a cool music scene in Albany because it ain't that far from the city. (laughs) So are you ready to find out who Lady Bird's uh, music artist influences are? I'm sure it's just a tell. Go ahead. Go ahead, <laughs> <laughs> oh, go ahead. What's the question? So the question we asked her is, what music artists have inspired your career so far? I can definitely say that a lot of different musicians have shaped me into becoming the musician I am today. I can tell you, when I was really young, my dad put me on to Bing Crosby, and my mom always made me listen to Nickelback, and those are the two very polarizing musicians that I have loved since I was a kid. But seriously though, currently today, I think I really love rock music, but I also really like um, jazz artists. I really like Blossom Deary who, and Annette Funicello. They're not really, Annette Funicello is not really jazz. Blossom Deary is more jazz, but definitely different artists that have more of a petite vibrato. I really admire that. It's kind of what I have already. So I like kind of just listening to similar artists in that vein. Yeah, I also really like local artists that I really admire and I worship. And I just take inspiration from the people around me. Shout out to E-Block. Shout out to Levada. Shout out to Penny Sierra. Shout out to the whole Albany music scene. But yeah, I love pop. I love rock. I love alternative. I love jazz. I love R&B. I love hip hop. Yeah. I am I'm just awestruck by the idea that she's into Bing Crosby. I'd like our listeners to know that the quintessential version of Legend of Sleepy Hollow done by Disney 1949, Bing Crosby stars in that. <laughs> and actually Everything's um, connected. You know, everything's connected. Yeah, everything's connected. You know, by Bing, Bing Crosby, Crosby. Was, was very much, you know, a, a major player in why the the microphone of today recording industry right, right. yeah he he actually invested in what became uh multi-track recording no and the yeah. microphone that that we still use today like the, he was basically was you know integral in that and whole through the phillips right. corporation i think he invested in multi-track recording because he didn't want to have to sing live the radio show that had become so popular that he simply could not miss week by week you go back and listen to those old radio shows dude had perfect pitch did we ask her uh, what uh, she thought would be a good uh, thing? Yeah, to, so we asked her yeah. what music service is currently not offered to independent music artists that should be. There used to be this app that was for college musicians, and that's very much a majority of indie musicians. It was called Quadio, and it was a really amazing experience that they created songwriting workshops, whole things on Zoom where you'd connect with different songwriters and start writing different songs right from scratch. You only had a couple of hours. And then at the end of the day, you would show what you made and it was really cool. And then you'd have little times where you'd share your own music to a bunch of people who don't really know who you are. And that was a really amazing experience. And it's really upsetting that since Quadio has moved on and has become its own record label, there isn't really something to replace that. And I really think there should be more of a, there should be something like Quadio again. And I I just haven't found it. And I think that's something that indie musicians need is that 
little connection besides having public songwriting circles. I'd love to have more songwriting camps, more things to really connect with people and more like connect with people outside of my scene so that more people can be exposed to my sound and my music. I think Bandcamp may be trying to fill that void. I think the Bandcamp app is probably providing some of that. You know, this is what what she's describing is what we've talked about for the last year or two. And that's the idea that the new coin of the realm for indies is collaboration. People love collaborating with one another. So they need to keep it going. I love how she gave the shout outs to the people that she knows in, in the indie scene. Yeah. Anyway, I think it is time for us to get on out of this episode. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the 9420 podcast. For everything that we spoke about, you can go to our website, which is 9420.com. That is the numbers 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to y'all later. (laughs) If there is a next time. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.